What radio, the music you want. With your host, he's Dan. It's Doc Radio, you're on the air. RadioWhat.com What's up, party people? It's Keys Dan with RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com, coming to you live in a living color from the Radio What Studios. And this is my podcast, What Makes You Famous? It's an extension of the RadioWhat.com internet radio station that I've been running for quite some time. And if you need DJ services, where do I always send you? DJLittleRock.com. One more time, DJLittleRock.com. Check availability and get a free price quote, and maybe you can have me at your next event. You know I like to party with the people. The people need to be entertained. Are you not entertained? Let me entertain you. Today on the program, speaking of entertainment, oh my goodness, you are in for a treat. A man who's been around for a long, long time, uh, eating, breathing, and sleeping this music business. Uh, Count Villion, Joe Villion. <laughs> Count, a.k.a. Joe Villion. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to him. I'm so excited to have you hear what he's got to say. And uh, he's, um, you know, he's out there in Boston, in the Boston area, doing his thing, music business, playing music, promoting music. And uh, he's got some stories to tell. Yeah. So stick around. This week's shows, I will be at the Rab in Conway, Arkansas, the video dance party, karaoke jam. Yes, I said karaoke. You're the stars of the show. It's a little concert starring each and every one of you. My usual Friday night gig at the Rab in Conway, Arkansas. 8 p.m. until 1230 in the AM. They got a full bar. The kitchen's open. Good food. Delicious food. They got 10 diamond-style pool tables. So if you want to try your hand at playing pool, hey, I encourage you to check out the Rab. They got uh, a pool tournament on Friday nights. You, you, you can try your hand at playing pool and possibly make some money while you're doing it, while you're waiting to sing on stage right next to yours truly. Come on out to the Rab. It's always a good time. Good food, good fun, good people, good times. Oh, good, 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 good. And then on Saturday, Saturday, oh, I think I have uh, I have either a private function. I haven't looked at my calendar in a sec. I either have a private function or I have a day off. Either way, good times. I'm ready for it. I'm here. All right, that's enough intro. Let's get into it with Joe Villione. Oh, I got him on Skype. So if you're listening to the audio version, I encourage you to check out the video version on my YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Keys Dan. Skyping Joe Villione now. Place is a mess. I got records everywhere. <laughs> that's a that's not, not a bad problem to have. Records everywhere. Oh my goodness, I miss records. I had thousands of them at one time, and no more, no more records. There, I used to uh, go to a club, show up with a uh, maybe a crate of Tower Records or a Peaches record box, and uh, and get to the club, and my my boys and girls out there, you dancers. That is all you're going to hear is what is in that crate. You're not going to get anything downloaded off the Internet that doesn't exist yet because it's the 80s and we don't know about the Internet yet. We know about I guess we know about uh, public boards and and uh, uh, board. I get I know when I was living in Broward County, 
in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, we had the Broward County uh, board. It was like a message board. The, the, the early versions of the mm-hmm. Internet where we could uh, play word games back and forth. I, I don't know how familiar you are. I'm excited to, to know you. There is so much that says uh, Joe Viglioni, and I don't know if I pronounced that properly. I wanted to put the, the Italian emphasis on it, or maybe it's Joe Viglione. But there's so much about you. There's so many hits on the Internet about you, but I really don't know who you are. Your card says uh, music uh, consultant, publicist, but I know there's got to be so much more to you. Pronounce your name correctly so I don't uh, foul it up for your family. It's Villion with the G silent. Of course it is. Of course it is. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I hear you just fine. Uh, now, if you're on oh, your great. if you're on your phone, make sure you're all centered up. Uh, you know, for the people that are listening to the audio version of this, I encourage you to check out the video version so you see Joe Villion right there next to me, looking good. And now you say you have very rec- good man. Now you you say you have records hanging out behind you. I'm I could see one record amongst the plants that is uh, it's got a bunch of faces on it. Is it Haley's? Wait. It's not Haley's Comet. Is it the the Holly's Greatest Hits? Is that what it is? Is yeah, that what I'm looking Holly's at? Very good, man. Tom Rush. I'm in it when Tom Rush. Well, good. Third. Well, tell, tell me about that. Hey, uh, if you have a headset, it'll make it sound a whole lot better. But if not, this will do. I'll, I'll, I'll raise the levels best I can. Yeah, I, I don't have a headset. I was totally, um, I've never done Skype. Well, good. Yeah, you're doing great. Uh, it's uh, pretty user-friendly. Uh, I think uh, during the COVID thing, Zoom ate Skype's lunch. Uh, uh, people were doing Zoom meetings, but Skype was so was first, and it fits so nice in my broadcast software. Uh, although I, I only see half your face, and it's kind of mysterious. There he is. Uh, first, I want to thank you for all the airplay you've given our artists. Well, okay. They, they are so happy with you. Well, that's a thing. Oh, and uh, let me tell you, Twitter, thank you, Elon Musk. You've messed up Twitter. Uh, now it won't tweet the songs that I'm playing on RadioWhat.com. So your artists are going to be less happy with me. My Sam broadcaster had a program that would uh, tweet the artist when I would when I would play their songs. This way, the artist would have something to retweet, giving uh, Elon Musk and his Twitter followers more content. But no, no, now he wants you to pay for that. I, I don't make a lot of money on that radio. <laughs> How are you going to pay for some? He wants to, me to pay him to give him content. And uh, you're welcome you know, to I your- think someone's going to buy it sooner than later. <laughs> well, no, they're, um, they're, they're not going to buy it for that $44 billion He's going to definitely lose money on that uh, because uh, he kind of backed himself into the corner uh, when he said he was uh, told Jack Dempsey that or is it Jack Dempsey? No, that's the boxer. Jack Dorsey, when he told Jack Dorsey that he was going to buy it, he was compelled to buy it because that was like a, a verbal contract and he had to spend all that money and he's trying to recoup all that money. It's not a money-making scheme. Uh, that social media has been free to, to use and the public is used to that and it's just, it's ruined. But social media aside, let me uh, say you're welcome to all your fine, fine artists. You're doing a great job promoting these people. Once you get to a certain level, uh, do you even, uh, do you sing? Do you make music? Because I see music that's attributed to you from the 80s, and I've been listening. The, the 80s music sounds a lot like the 60s music. 
Is that you? Oh, hold on a second. Hold on. I lost your, your audio for a second. Let me get that back. Boom. Go. I got signed to a French label in 1978, and they put four of my albums out. But I became A&R man. I met the Rolling Stones producer, Jimmy Miller. Within three weeks, I was his manager. Wait, you're, Jimmy, Mi- you're Jimmy Miller's manager? Yeah, the guy who did Gimme Shelter and Brown Sugar and all those songs. And so how- for years, I managed Jimmy. Okay, and he he's the one. He brought me to a um, Keith Richards session in 1988. Keith introduces me to Rob Fraboni, his other producer, and we've been best of friends for 35 years. So we we got a new corporation we're forming. So all we do is work. All we do is make music, promote it. That's all we do. Yeah, it seems like you're you're doing, you're not only producing this music, but you're also promoting the music, and you take a lot of time doing this. Uh, this, um, uh, Well, at least for the last few years, you've been doing a show, it was a visual radio, is that you? The visual radio I started in 95. Um, we've had Jody Foster, Ray Manzarek, uh, Mark Farner, Chuck Negron on a Three Dog Night, all the greats. Um, we have so much fun with it. And it still continues today. Yeah, it's but nice we'll to do have things a pl- like um, Go ahead. Elder Services, Mystic Valley Elder. We did a great show on Elder Services that helps the community. So it's not just the rock stars and the film stars and the directors. Um, it's it, you know it's, it's it's local bands. We have the local bands, and we want to give them an hour on the air. Yeah, back in college, okay, back in '86 when I was first started, uh, I got out of high school and I wanted to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. So uh, there was a, a, uh, a college radio that was run out of Piper High School, 88.5 down there in South Florida, down in, in, uh, in, the, uh, in the Fort Lauderdale area. And I remember, well, radio can help the community. You might, you might make a dollar or two. Nobody really gets rich doing radio. Uh, it's that handful of people that make millions. You could think about Rick Dees and Casey Kasem and Howard Stern and maybe five or ten people that really have made big money. The thing about radio is, yes, you can make kind of a living. You get that notoriety, but you also help people in the community. They buy airtime, uh, you know, for uh, to get their their products and services. And you also get to interview the stars, the um, the the record, uh, the the people that are making the records. Uh, you know, I'll get somebody like you. I'll be sitting, uh, you know, on my terrestrial radio. Uh, sitting at, um, in my chair uh, in front of my microphone and somebody like you will come in with a record and say hey this is a new record uh, from an artist that I'm, I'm kind of promoting uh, would you like to play this I take a listen I like it I put it on the air people listen and then hopefully they buy the records and it's all symbiotic it, that's how this this worked at least it, back then you you have a bunch of records sitting around you People don't sell records anymore. Will this business survive without record sales? How are the artists making money? Well, everyone has to be creative with T-shirts and hats and and live gigs. And the live gigs are difficult, too. Um, What's huge right now is tribute bands. You know, had we came out with our Lou Reed tribute in 78, because we were devotees, okay, of Lou. Um, We do the Lou Reed tribute like once a year, and it goes over very well. Even Lou's guitarist, Nelson Slater, joined us at one of the gigs. So um, Lou was just an amazing man, and I had a good relationship with him in his office. So and he's one of my heroes. But to be, you know, to be able to um, communicate with Lou and interview him was just, to me, very important in my life. 
Well, Laurie Anderson just found a bunch of papers from Lou Reed and uh, just put it out as a book. Have you been able to pick up this book or, or read any of that? No, I should. Um, I interviewed. I didn't interview Laurie. I taped her in Massachusetts. She did a lecture. I interviewed Eric Anderson. And so Lou was like amazed I knew all his friends. And he really liked that. He goes, you know, all my, you know, Eric Anderson did a record with him. Well, I interviewed Eric. Um, these are great. I mean, they're incredible people. And they have so much information that we want to document forever. Oh, uh, for my loyal listener, I, I want to let you know uh, the reason I brought up Laurie Anderson after he was talking about Lou Reed is uh, Laurie Anderson was married to Lou Reed from, uh, well, I'm looking 2008 to 2013. And um, after he after Lou Reed passed away uh, back in in 2013, well, when he died, that's when they uh, that's when that's when their uh, their marriage ended. So uh, she was his widow and she found those papers and decided to make a book out of them. I, I thought. I haven't been able to, to get a hold of that uh, either. Not that I was I was uh, looking all that hard. I'm sure it's easy to get a hold of it. But um, you know, you say, oh, man, Lou Reed. Now there's a there's a guy that uh, take a uh, take a walk on the wild side and so much more. After 50 days after he passed, they had at the Apollo Theater a um, a memorial for him, and they invited me. So we had third row because my friend Jeff lived um, lived near New York. So he was one of the first in line. So we're in the third row. You know, Yoko Ono's across from us. She's walking by. And there's um, William Defoe sitting across from us. Paul Simon is singing. Patty Smith. But Blondie blew everyone away doing White Light, White Heat. And it's up there on the web. Someone taped it so you can find it. It was a December 13, 2013, Lou's Memorial. Three and a half hours. It was like Lou was there. Yeah. And that that's and, and that's the thing about musicians and artists and people that that are creatives they can make their mark in the world. Yes, you can be a scientist and cure cancer. Hopefully one day somebody cures cancer. All you smart people out there keep on trying to cure cancer. But you know, the other thing, the other side of the coin is people need to be entertained, need to under unwind after you've had a long week of work, uh, you know, you want to to change all that, all that hardship that has come down on your head, and uh, what better way than to go out and catch a show? And you know, the, Lou Reed made those records, and, and other artists, of course. And, and we have the, uh, we have they, they live forever through their music, and uh, and us people like you and me talk about it, keep playing that music, make them live on and on. You know, appreciate all well, that. You music. know, I went to the. Very first rock and roll animal show, September 1st, um, 1973. And I eventually met Steve Hunter and Dick Wagner, um, the two guitarists who joined Alice Cooper later. And, and I've been writing a book on the whole tour because the tour was amazing. But that first show was the very best. And I guess London was the second best. But um, it was an amazing night. It was a Twilight series, uh, the Sunset series out in Tanglewood and um, they had a blue fluorescent light and Lou did folk. He did, he played some folk tunes in, be, in the middle of the set. And then they came up behind him for heroin and it was just totally amazing. I'll never forget that show. It was, it was just such a great concert, but then they couldn't do as um, the full show that I saw because they had to make it more commercial, of course, as the tour went on, but they were experiment, man. It was the very first show it was. And I was 19 years old. 
just a totally amazing gig. All right. And you remember those things 50 years later. Well, I wish I could remember those things. I was four years old. So, all right, you're you're a slightly <laughs> a slightly older man. I was born in 69, uh, you know, in Miami, Florida. But, yeah, I, I guess we could back up for the listener, find out how you became and who where you where you came from and how you uh, became who you are today you know i guess are you always are you born and raised in boston i've been in boston my whole life we we grew up in arlington on the mystic lake and i liked mysticism so we were on the mystic lake and we started a rock band when i was around 17 <laughs> so we started writing songs and um my saltwater summers got on the big radio station because they play a local artist every day and then i put saltwater summers out i got the record deal and um, and all of a sudden, uh, we, we were building a Boston rock and roll scene. I mean, there was Jay Giles and Aerosmith, Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, but there was no new wave scene till we came around. There were about 10 of us bands, and it blossomed into 3,500. So you're not- The local you, newspaper hired me to help do the band guide. We went from 10 bands in the paper to 3,500 dance. So you're not and doing covers. You're, music. you're doing original music then? Oh, yeah. Well, oh, where can we, I'm putting a song up every day, you know. I don't know if you know this. Every day I put a song on Spotify from the old days. So I have 77 of them up as of today. Okay. What I'm looking at is uh, under your Count Vig- Villion, uh, the, the uh, topic on on uh, on YouTube, uh, it seems like like you've updated today updated today updated today updated yesterday there's new songs going out and these are the songs that i know you have uh, a joe villion uh page and that's mostly uh you promoting other people and doing interviews and stuff like that but this count villion is music that you made you produced like i said it sounds like the 60s and you said you started way back then is this stuff from the 60s or I saw one secret things from 88 and that is uh is that sounds like the 60s but it's it's made in the 80s. Yeah, we started I started producing records in 1971. Okay. Um then I met the Stones producer. So what's really interesting is um I work with Forboni and Forboni and, and Miller did Goat's Head Soup. Remember that album? No, I do not. School Rolling me. Stones, Goat's Head Soup, Angie Heartbreaker. Know the know the songs, didn't know the name of the album. So sorry. Tattoo You well, was, right. was the first so Stones the record that I got. I'm the only act in the world that has the same team that did Goat's Head Soup. Miller and Fravoni did one of my records. So it's like, wow, you know, it, it's 200 years from now, Dan, I'll be appreciated. 200 years from now. Thank you for the. Yes. What well, even now? No, you are certainly appreciated. I'm sure the artists that that are put that you're helping to to uh, build up are appreciating you. But yes, that is what we were talking about earlier is the um, is the longevity that creates the creators can leave their mark and be appreciated forever and ever. Uh, you know, conceivably, we're still talking about Beethoven, my favorite uh, of the past. Uh, and, you know, we're still talking about Mozart and and all these people that made music hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And all you wish, you know, as a creator, as an artist, as a a movie maker, a, a song maker, a poet, a, a book writer uh, is, will it be appreciated a hundred years from now? Will somebody care? Well, here's a funny thing, Dan. 50 years ago, it was all segmented. So you had your hard rock, you had your punk rockers, your new wave, right? Segregated. And people didn't bother with the other genres. 50 years later, all the other genres were all one music scene. 
and people are working together that would never have worked together 50 years ago. So one of the songs I put up today, Sail Away, that's got like uh, a mini super group of Boston area known musicians. Um, it's got John Macy and, and John and I were in the same genre. And Sal Baglio kind of was in the same genre. Right? We performed shows with him, but he's playing with John Butcher, who was totally Hendrixy and, and very uh, commercial. And he got on Polygram. So, but everyone's all the same genre now. Yeah, I got Ed, Mc, Ed McMahon and Lady D. I'm sure that's not the Ed McMahon I'm thinking of. It's a, uh, it's written. No, it's, he's a famous, he's a famous Ed McMahon of Boston on Kiss One Wait, the number one station. But he's actually the guy who does the Dunkin' Donuts radio when you go into Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> so he and Lady D are actually probably get a bigger audience now, even though they were on the number one station. That's so funny. I did a local rent-a-center radio. Uh, you know, it's it's amazing when you when you get a voice and and you get on on this radio. The gigs, you, you never know where they're going to come from. Sometimes you got to hustle uh, to make it anywhere in this business. Now you said earlier, people aren't even selling records anymore. They got to sell T-shirts. You know, I got my radio what T-shirt on, and uh, that's how you're making money. Uh, these days with live shows and you say it's hard to get a live show i know i'm bouncing back and forth but i want to know well the tributes the tributes are amazing because a friend of mine went and saw now i'm not a big fan of the eagles but she had a girl's night out they left the husbands and went to see the eagles 45 bucks ahead right and she said we had a blast so they're living through these tribute bands now there's a um i interviewed uh the australian pink floyd band Okay. About four months ago. They gave me 10 tickets. They're $86 a ticket. They're grossing about a hundred grand a night. And they sound like Pink Floyd. And they're so good, Pink Floyd jammed with them and had them play parties. Is that amazing? Very amazing. But there's two huge Floyd bands, but there must be 20 of them out there. But two of the big ones that generate this incredible money. They have the light show, and they sound like Floyd, and they're devoted. My best buddy in high school was really into Pink Floyd. I, I was a Queen fan. Now, I, I want to apologize to my Eagles uh, fans out there. Shots fired. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hey, you don't have to like everything. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> I saw Queen from, like, the fifth row when they did the music hall in Boston. Oh, heartbreak. And back in the day. Now, that was one I didn't get to. You know, there's been quite a few concerts I've been to. Bruce Springsteen, Hart, uh, uh, was it Greg Kin? Uh, some of the, I mean, this uh, great, uh, Air, uh, Duran Duran. I mean, so many concerts that I've been through in my life. And I, I didn't, I never got a chance to see Queen live. I, I've, I, you know, of course, you've seen the videos of them at, at Wimbledon, Wimbledon. And I mean, the fantastic. A movie that came out, amazing. I mean, to, to be in I fifth row. I walked out on Springsteen in 73. I saw I him in not like 84 him. when he was doing a three-hour show and then collapsing and then doing another 45 minutes. Uh, it was crazy. Well, see, before he was famous, yeah. he played the East Coast a lot. And mm -hmm. Mickey O'Halloran, who I worked for, but before I met Mickey, brought him into uh, and Flag and Oliver's. I taped the second to last Velvet Underground show ever at Oliver's. It came out, um, and it was only um, Doug Yule in it, no original members, but the final, they did two more shows, and I taped the second to last one. It came out in Japan. Someone bootlegged it and put it out in Japan. But um, Boston's an amazing town because you get a lot of, you know, Tal, when they first come over, Tal and whomever, they play Boston because it's, 
and then they go to New York, and then they go across the country. So we would get the shows first. We had an amazing scene, Dan. It's all different now. It was so much fun. And I was there. Well, Boston's a big city. I mean, I, I, I know that comedians go through there and, and acts and things. So you, you've been in a big town. I was from Miami. So we had, we had all the acts that wanted to go down there for vacation, you know, when, in the summer, in the uh, winter time, when it was too cold to be up north, they go down, uh, get on the beach, uh, sip a margarita, and then maybe, you know, do a show at the, uh, at the local, uh, local club. Oh, I see a kitty. My kitty's out there. I have a tabby, an orange tabby. What's your kitty's name? What's your kitty's name? That's Susie. Susie. Well, I have mama kitty out there. Uh, oh, so sweet. Look at that face. That's beautiful. My, my loyal, uh, audio listeners aren't getting the, the full, the full Villion. <laughs> <laughs> she's on my lap right now because um i'm on the phone with you and she gets jealous yes mine too definitely she'd be right up on me i mean she sleeps uh, okay i said uh, a long time ago i'll never have a cat in the house my wife convinced me to have a cat in the house yes uh, okay as long as they're not in the bedroom guess where this kitty sleeps right between my legs almost up my butt and sleeps very comfortably and peacefully all night i have to stay completely still cats love them i'm a cat guy all right it happened yeah but um we have amazing scene here man and um <laughs> we generate music and and we're archivists but the record albums um i rescue record albums that would be thrown away so i have a deal with a store and that's why i got 40 40 000 units i have and climbing i'm giving them away now to goodwill and salvation army there's too many well, let me back it up a little bit, uh, Joe. Uh, you had a bootleg of the of one of the last Velvet Underground uh, records, and you say that it got big in Japan. I'm sure the Velvet Underground did not make any money off of this bootleg record. What is the advantage? Oh, no, I think Doug Yule did. I think Dougie oh. did because it was a fan. I'd given a portion of the concert to a, a fan magazine, and the guy did me wrong because I should have negotiated. I'm in the record biz. Make it legitimate. It came out on Captain Trip. They're a good label. But I'm sure they got permission from Doug Yule, but I was cut out of it, and I have the first-generation tape. So it's a weaker tape that came out, and I got three songs they don't have. So eventually, uh, you know, it's historic, and we could we could work with Doug and, and put out a real um, volume of it, the real thing. Well, back when I was a baby DJ down in South Florida, of course I had my name and number in a lot of the different uh, record record stores, and whenever they had something choice, uh, you know, a bootleg, uh, an import from Japan, an, a European whatever, uh, they would give me a call. Hey, we just got this in. Are you interested? Because they knew I was going to be playing a certain kind of club that wanted to hear a certain kind of music. Me, I thought that bootlegs meant, all right, somebody recorded this, put it out there. It's kind of like a mixtape. It means that the artist isn't going to get any money, but the one thing they are going to get is notoriety. They're going to get exposure uh, at further places. And maybe the, somebody in Japan would never have heard them if it wasn't for you recording uh, this per this particular uh, album. And then maybe they can go to Japan and make some money out there. Am I wrong in that? Well, what you want to do is pick up Clinton Halen's bootleg. It's about 20 years old. It's a book. And I just read it. I just read it last month. And it really tells the whole history. You know, the first thing they bootlegged was Shakespeare. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. And he probably wasn't the first. Well, Shakespeare, he just wrote them for the plays. It was like 
It was like one day at a time. It was like soap operas. He never took it seriously. They'd give the scripts to the actors and the people in the audience were transcribing them. But then um, he's like the most important British export, isn't he? I, su- I suppose. Now, the uh, the conspiracy theory is that Shakespeare didn't write all his own plays. Oh, right. Oh, who wrote him? Who wrote him? He, they say he wasn't smart enough to do it. Possibly. You know, they say, uh, you know, people talk. Yeah. Um, I've been doing this 50 years and you'll hear 10 different things about, you know, who did what in the studio with me, you know, and it, it, it's like, I'm here. I can tell you what happened. Yeah. You've chewed, you've chewed the dirt. You've been there. You had, you've been in the clubs in, in the Boston scene. Have you been any place else in the country? Did you make your way to California or Nashville or well, New we, York? We go to California for business. We struck a Motown deal in 1986. In Detroit. I'll email you the booklet. I, I just wrote a 40-page booklet, and it's got the Motown contract in it. So we do something called the demo that got the deal. So we talked to Lou Reed about the demo. Now, Lou Reed was funny. He said, Joe, Andy Warhol got us the deal, but if there was a demo, I'm sure you'd have a copy. He knew how devoted I was. It was great. But we interview Mark Fon, our Grand Funk Railroad. I'm, the, I'm in my thinking mode tonight. I'm the thinker. <laughs> well, I, um, Motown is out there in, uh, in wait. Oh, now it's headquarters. They were in Detroit, Detroit, but Barry Gordy sold it to California. Okay. We moved to California. We dealt with the late Russ Reagan, and we we had a British band, the Manish Boys, but we were also producing Buddy Guy. And I was lobbying for Buddy Guy, and Jimmy said, let's do the Manish Boys first. And so I showed him some respect. Um, It was his contact that we got the deal with, but I was able to work with Alan Arrow, the great attorney for Patti LaBelle and many others. He's gone now. Russ Reagan's gone. But I lived through this history, man, and I signed the deal. Well, where can we we find... All this history, is it all going to be put down in a book? Once you get to a certain age, people ask you, you have all this knowledge, this fountain of information. You've touched all this greatness and you've been part of the greatness. Uh, what, you know, the records that you've made, uh, are you putting, uh, you have them out? Uh, are, is there an ability for people to buy them for a buck a piece and maybe throw some money your way? Well, they actually go for it. They go for good money because they're so old now. And I never thought, you know, I thought, oh, they'll go for two ninety nine or whatever. No, they're going for 30, 40 bucks, some of 60 bucks. It depends on the record. And the rarer the record, the more money. Yeah. Now, it's we nice did that a the legitimate kids- record called the Boston Bootleg One. Yeah. And there were 500 copies and it was local bands, but it wasn't a bootleg. It was all legit with contracts. And it goes for a lot of money these days because there were only 500 and it's history. It's Boston history. I miss all my records. Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. I, I put them in a storage unit and I lost them. I, I had, you know, 13 queen albums. I was so appreciative uh, or so uh, in, in love with, uh, with playing the records, uh, feeling, uh, you know, opening the, well, you put the record on the, on the turntable on your technique there. And then you look at the the album cover, the sleeve. It's got history. It's got information that you could read on the radio. That you can, you know, you learn about what was the band thinking at this time. It's gone. That is all gone now. Well, There's, you can get them at yard sales, man, for like fifty cents each. But where are you going to play them? I don't think I. Yard have, I don't even have a record player anymore. Uh, everything is digital. To my uh, turntables are steel. Uh, you know, they're uh, Pioneer uh, DDJs that that um, uh, control my computer. Uh, you know, people expect to, to hear any song they want at any time. They expect me to be a human jukebox. 
most of the time I push back when I'm at the club. If I feel like playing eighties, I'm going to play eighties. If I feel like playing seventies, if I feel like playing music that I just got from you, Joe, you know, if it's the stuff that you just sent me, I'll put that out at the club and people will go, who is that? Oh, this is a new artist. You need to check them out. It's my job. That's good to hear. I didn't know you play the stuff at the clubs too. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's not that, that, that is my job. When I was in, in Miami and I, I got the opportunity to play at some of the South Beach clubs or, or the clubs that were, you know, in South Florida, uh, I had the, the people would hand me albums during the day at the record, uh, at the, um, at the various radio stations that I was working at, I would take those records to the clubs and put, and if they, you know, bumped, if they, if they were going to get people to dance or get people to, to feel a certain kind of way, I put them on the turntables at the club and people go, who is that? And most of the time us DJs would rip the labels off and maybe put a little code on there. CJ B one Joe V J V. That's who that is. We, they, so they don't know what that record is. But I and then we secretly, hey, I'll let you know who, who, you know, make him feel special. Let him know that's Joe Villone. Yeah, that's his record. Very cool. It is, man. It was fun being a, a DJ in the 80s. I, I think all the, all the way through the 90s, I was really working, uh, you know, South Florida, South Beach, and even on the, on the radio down there. Uh, it was just, that was a time. And now, hey, I, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Arkansas. I, I made my way out here, and now I'm, uh, you know, playing at a couple of clubs, uh, still two nights a week, doing my thing, and I have my online radio station, still helping people just like you, man, just helping people. Once you get to a certain level, you help the next generation. That's what you're doing. Who are the artists that you're, uh, you're helping out, that you're promoting these days? Well, I just sent you um, the complaints out of Rhode Island. Okay. Magnificent band. I've known them 23 years. I don't know if you know, but I wrote 5,000 reviews for allmusic.com in nine years. <laughs> I did not know. That's prolific. So I, I worked for allmusic.com, a metadata database. So I, I reviewed the Complaints albums. And um, and there's another band. Uh-oh. Hold on a second. Go, go ahead. The other and band. And so they just brought me on board to work their music. Well, the American Wait. Beauty's album is unbelievable. You cut out for a second uh, there. I just so, sent you The you, Rain, one song. Yeah, you cut uh, out for The Complaints album is solid as, as always. You cut, uh, out, you cut out for a second. These are friends of mine, and they, they come up with great music, so it's an honor to um, get them out there. You cut out for a second. And they can do it themselves. You know, they've been around, so they're old enough to do it themselves, but they like having a team. And we build a team, and we do great things together. Hey, you cut out for a second. You didn't. Uh, the name of the band, I, I I missed it. Oh, the complaints is from Rhode Island. Dean Petrella, and then um, American Beauties with Michael Gray. I just sent both of them to you today. That's the one. Great I was, music, great friends of mine. Fantastic. And how did you get a hold of them? Well, like I said, I was writing for all music, and uh, the complaints sent me their CD twenty three years ago. So I met them. So twenty three years later, we're friends. And Michael Gray was on my radio show about eight years ago, and we're friends. And, um, you know, they all have their own way of promoting, but then they work with me to get my formula. And we're all friendly, and we, we have fun, and it keeps you in touch with people, too. That is fantastic. So you don't lose track. Yeah, no, and, and well, that's the nice thing about this uh, this podcast thing that, that we're doing. You, you do a, a video version as well. Uh, we get to go long form. It used to be. If uh, if an artist had a show in South Florida, in Miami, 
They would come into my uh, my studio, uh, sit down in the chair in front of me. I'd get five, ten, maybe fifteen minutes of uh, you know them way too early because I'm on the morning show, and they'd tell me about the show that that was coming up that night. But I never had a real conversation. Yes, I was able to to make some acquaintances and make some kind of a, a friendship. But it's hard to do in 15 minutes. When you have a, a full hour, you can actually chat with somebody and, le- and learn a little bit more about them. Dude, I had no idea that you were such a legend, okay? I knew that you did a lot of things. I knew that you made music, promoted music, and, you know, uh, talked about music and played music. But I had no idea that you work so hard in this, in this uh, business we call show. I mean, tell the people. Well, do you, do you like the Jefferson airplane? Oh, yeah. Even even uh, Starship and yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Marty Ballin, I was going to start a new TV show. We did one in 79. In 95, I want to start a new one. So I called Marty up and he goes, I'll be in the bookstores in Harvard Square in your neck of the woods. Come find me. I'm like, I'm not going to go searching for Marty in the bookstores. I called his father up. Where is he? He goes, Howard Johnson. Right. We videotape him in 1995. And then in 2008, I directed the first movie of Marty Ballin solo. So it's Marty Ballin live on the Esplanade. It's out worldwide on music video distributors. But we used the interview for the public access TV show. And it's amazing. From that 1995, when I tracked him down. Now, we couldn't do it at the House of Blues. Teo and these people are all gone now. Teo passed and Marty Ballin passed. But Teo said, you can't use House of Blues because they own the copyright of the building. But can I come to the interview? I said, sure, Teo. And he came across the street. We had a little audience in Marty's bedroom. I interviewed him for 45 minutes. Then years later, when he had me do the DVD and I produced and directed it, we used the old video. We got on that video, him singing Somebody to Love, which he never did. It's like one few times he did, you know, Grace Slick. Grace Slick did that, yeah. And we got that on the DVD. Her brother-in-law, Darby Slick, wrote it. See, this is pieces of history. This is House of Blues was pretty dumb to be so tight with their brand, knowing, uh, not knowing that... You know, if their logo is in the background of this video, how many years later that logo is going to keep Hello. going and going and going? Hello. We're in a Howard Johnson's bedroom. Yes. Instead of House of Blues. So and it's 1995. Well, they had they had issues, but now they're they're great. They they went into a bigger venue in Boston and they let you videotape and they're a lot looser now. Good. I got a great show from the House of Blues. Um, they let you videotape. It's a whole different world. They had a TV show and they didn't want to have the image out there. Okay. When you mentioned TV show back in the late 70s, I mean, this is... 80, 80 no, 1995. Okay, 1995. But you said you were, were you making TV shows in, even in the 70s? 79. Now, this is weird. It's a guy that was my director. He was a college kid. Who was the director? So uh, I had a record out, an EP, mm-hmm. before I had the album deal. And it was at a record store, and I said to the guy, put that on. He puts my record on. I'm dancing on the chair, and I walk out the door. He tracks me down. They do a video of me. And then they said, your grandmother lives in Somerville where there's an access station. There were no access stations in 79. You know, sure, in Groton in 1973, there were one or two here and there. But there wasn't the Telecommunications Act that ushered in all the public access stations. So grandma let me do my show. She loved me. You know, we did the show. And then uh, Jay is now running HBO and Mark Rosenfeld was his partner. 
So I had, I, I already had hosted a show for a year. And then, you know, I knew Marty Ballin and I wanted to meet Bobby Hebb. Bobby Hebb wrote the great song, Sonny, mm-hmm. right? So I, I wrote to him in the 80s, but he said, oh, you're going to go through my lawyer. And I could understand he was very, he opened for the Beatles. He was you know, very well established. So in 95, I reached out to him and said, Bobby, do my TV show. He said, sure. We became best of friends. I'm his producer now. I mean, he passed away, but for the estate, I produced Bobby Hebb. Is that amazing? Very amazing. Yeah, two, two of my favorite songs of all time are Miracles and Sunny, and I got to be friends with the guys. See, I don't know Miracles, but I know Sunny. That's running through my head right now. Only you believe like I believe. Okay. Got it. Got it. As I hear Sunny, I thank you for the- producing live versions of all their hits. I produced Sonny probably more times than Jerry Ross, and he was their producer. And Jerry was a dear friend of mine, and he's gone. So I got to meet my heroes. I mean, Nick Vinay, the Beach Boys, right? I talk to Nick on the phone all the time, and then I get an email. Nick is gone, and I'm like, uh. the first email I ever got where a friend of mine was gone, and his girlfriend wrote me and said, Nick is gone. I would talk to, you know, Jimmy Miller, all these great producers um and and with jimmy you know he he taught me how to fade records his way you know the master taught me oh never fade out as it concludes always do it halfway before the conclusion let it swirl in their head joe and he put his hand on the thing and mine and you know this is a fun stuff dan yeah it makes it it makes it seem like that record goes on and on and on in your head it's like when they fade out In a movie, it's the same thing. It goes on forever, even past that movie. But did you know Jimmy Miller is the drummer on You Can't Always Get What You Want and Shine a Light? He did like five Stone songs. So we're in my basement. I'm playing keyboards and singing, and he's on drums. I got to play with the guy who made the record. Yes. In my basement. Uh, Oh, I mean, it's okay. Okay. Now you're talking about in the 60s and 70s when there was only a few bands. And I just recently talked to another uh, artist that was, uh, there's only a few bands that were, okay. Oh, and he he brought up the Monkees. And there was only a few bands that were playing on all the records back in the 60s and the 70s. The Hired Guns. Oh, you mean the Wrecking Crew? The Wrecking so Crew. So that the birds would be out touring and the Wrecking Crew would make their records with Roger McGuinn. Correct. And then Motown had the, uh, what did they call them? Uh, there was Green Onions. They had the, uh, I, I know the name. There's that movie, Standing in the Shadows of Motown. So that was uh, their wrecking crew. Motown had, they had a name for them. So yeah, there were people making the records. And then Millie Vanilli got their Grammy taken away because they weren't singing on it. Yeah, but, they, okay, yes, I just heard a, a little podcast about Millie Vanilli. Uh, it wasn't their fault completely. They got railroaded. They were a couple of kid right. uh, club right. dancers. Now, if you look on the record, uh, the singers that were actually singing on the song are credited as backup singers on the record. Well, it's it's a crazy industry because that's been going on forever. It is. Their ma- that manager uh, did the same thing in um, in Germany where he was from with another band, and he, he you know he while he was in Germany, he heard this little group singing that uh the first millie vanilli song and he said hey i could steal that i mean he straight up stole that song and put it out for this other oh it's a this industry can can hurt hurt people and really i, I guess robin fab one of them uh, is it uh, rob no it was fab that died or rob one of them killed themselves very depressed over it right yes um Remember Space Jam with Michael Jordan? Yes. New Kids in the Block recorded. 
Well, I'm sorry. I was, in 1988, I was the manager. I was managing Miller at the same time. So Michael Johnson takes me in his studio and he goes, listen to this, Joe. He had a hit record with the Johnson crew called Pack Jam. You put an S and an E on Pack and it's space. They stole the friggin' record. Yeah. They made Space Jam right over Pack Jam and Michael litigated. And he played me the record the lawyers made. It was amazing. You could hear how they just stole the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, supposedly there's a, a red solo cup song that some hip hop artist in Texas made. And then here there's a red solo cup song that makes it big. And that little hip hop artist makes no money on it. It's um, it was it parallel thinking. I don't know. Maybe somebody heard it when they were down in Texas and said, hey, I think we can make a record out of this and and have somebody more established sing it and make millions. And that guy leave him by the wayside. You can get chewed up by this business, and I'm glad that you've made, you know, so hopefully some kind of a living off of this and navigated through. Uh, will the, will anybody survive uh, without a, a record label? Do they have to be independent? Uh, is there an advantage to to record label versus independence? Can you? Uh, what are the advantage of each? Do you know? Well, we're we're thinking of putting a new label together with Rob for Boney, um, where we take important tapes we have and do what franklin mint does you know the franklin mint with the hummels and the coins oh yes yes of course we want to do a high-end thing where we sell five thousand units only make it very collectible but at a high rate and we have major major artists lined up i mean one of them is blondie chaplin the singer of the beach boys sail on sailor okay a big song that wilson pickett did i forget mustang sally Yes. But then we, we have other tapes, and I can't say the names yet, and um, we intend to do these high-end recordings, and, and, and like the Franklin Mint. Yeah, it's probably better that you keep it aside. I mean, because, uh, you know, the Franklin Mint had their, their coins that would be limited edition. Disney had the same idea. Whenever they put their, uh, you know, their, their different cartoons out, they would uh, rip, uh, okay, for the kids that are way under 30, Back in the 80s, back in the 70s, the, the Disney Corporation would take their out their uh, videotapes when videotapes were cool and they would sell you. They would say, hey, we're opening the vault and for about a month you can buy Cinderella and people were flocking to the stores, buying up all the Cinderella's and Disney made a mint. Hopefully that same kind of an idea where you open the vault, but, you know, make a certain amount of pressings, maybe make an authenticity. Uh, you know, certificate with each exactly, one. Exactly. But the problem is they always get digitally copied. So we're going to add, just like the Franklin Mint, we're going to mint coins of Bobby Hebb. And you get a coin as well as the booklet. And so you can't digitally download the coin. Yeah. I, I you Make know, it very collectible. You get a Bobby Hebb coin, a Marty Ballin coin, you know. Well, hopefully you can do some of this, uh, uh, what is it, non-fungible token, whatever they are. I haven't been able to get get wrap my head around digital coins and digital uh, media that you can own. And every time somebody downloads it, uh, you know, old Joe Vidlione gets a little piece out of it. I, I wish that for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, we got to address all those things. But right now we're just building the new corporation. So, um it is a tough industry, like you said, but there's a lot of avenues for opportunity. Yes. A lot of it. And as long as you're willing to hustle, which you are, uh, you know, is you will, you, you'll, you'll go far. Uh, people aren't selling and records. See, I don't call it hustling. All I call it is my work. I just get up in the morning and I do this. This is what I do. So it's like, it's, it's just what I love doing. Yes. 
I mean, I, okay. Yeah. Hey, did you, uh, were you, did you ever work on the radio in, uh, in Boston? Yeah, I was a producer of a big show on 93.7 where we started the demo that got the deal. I scripted it, but I also, at the same time I'm, I'm producing Harvey Warfield on 93.7, I was the uh, program director of WNSH and AM station. So I had my own show going while I was producing Harvey's. I had two two commercial radio stations at once, one AM, one FM. Well, for my my loyal listener, that the producer typically runs the board, uh, you know, makes sure the levels and the microphones are all set up, and then uh, any sound bites that they need, I guess you get that. I, I, we we the DJ and I would plan the show. Yes, and we we went to number one on Sunday nights, and you know, radio they don't care about number one on Sunday nights, but we were the top show in the city. Yeah in the Boston area on Sunday night. So I think it's worth, it's valuable, but you know, they don't care about Saturdays and Sundays. They want the Monday through Friday drive time to make money. Well, I mean, as long as that, that show is selling their own, their own time slot, did, did he have to go out uh, there? There was little mom and pop stations that I had to uh, leave my, well, we, didn't, we didn't have to do that, but okay. they offered us that opportunity. We were already in there and he was getting a salary. Okay. But they also said, you can have some airtime if you want to sell it. Yes. So they gave us that opportunity, but we didn't have to. Okay. That was just like a bonus. If you want to make some more money here, take some airtime. Yeah, I know that I would that leave. Nice. I, I would leave the station about ten o'clock and then go to lunch with uh, you know some any you know some people from the community that that were thinking about buying airtime. We'd sell our own show. That was that's on the mom and pop stations. But if you if you're working at one of the the bigger ones that have two hundred three hundred stations, uh, most of the time they have a a big sales staff. But uh, it, it, well, we it were Kirk Gowdy's station, CGY. Kirk Gowdy, the guy from uh, Naked Gun, the sports announcer. Yes. <laughs> so that was Kirk, Kirk had a, like four to eight radio stations. Uh, he did very well for himself. And his son, his uh, he had three kids. It was Cheryl, Trevor, and then his son, Kurt Jr. Kurt Jr. was a major announcer across the country. So we were working for that station, and it was fun. It is so much fun. Now tell me about the AM station. AM radio it felt like it kind of died out, but I worked at an AM station in the mid mid to late nineties, and it was the oldest station in Coral Gables. AM ten eighty, uh, the voice uh, WBCG, the voice of Coral Gables, and that was a um, a, a radio station where people would buy time, and and some of it was Christian radio, and some of it was selling whatever kind of products, but people would buy time on that station. I thought that uh, AM got relegated to that um, pretty much after FM got bigger. Well, it did, but the owner of um, AM 16, it was 15, I ran 1570 and then I ran 1670 like 10 years later. Um, 1570, the fellow went out and bought up all the signals on 1570. Way too much work for the money he was making. And I was running the one up in... um, North Shore. And that was fun, but basically it was the traffic cop. I mean, funny story because everyone's territorial, right? And I'm the program director, and uh, and I decided I wasn't going to go to the station for a meeting because it was 45 minutes away, right? Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm the PD. I better show up. So I show up, and there's a line of people there. And the traffic cop is in the middle of the room saying, who does this guy think he is, meaning me? The station owners behind me were all laughing. And I walk into the room, and his jaw drops, and I said, you know, you can direct traffic and you can be on radio and I'm very respectful of everyone here. But I'm the guy bringing you the uh, the trade papers. I'm the guy teaching you radio. And if you want to do it instead, I'll just walk right now. And he 
you know, he felt like three, you know, three cents at that point. But like, I'm trying to help people and you're slaving away. And then, you know, someone's got a huge ego and he's the traffic cop. Who's this guy think he is? I'm just the guy helping you. Yeah, that was a nice thing about radio is you started to develop uh, an, a uh, community a, a relationship with the community i had people that were bringing me uh, lunch and dinner sometimes and uh, you know uh, breakfast uh, um, and i was like uh, you don't have to do this i'd rather you didn't but it was so nice of them it was 1992 now 30 years later um one of the women mm-hmm. uh, is a major dj up here and we we correspond and, and you know she loves those days with me because that's where she cut her teeth She's really good. And, and, you know, and um, we just wrote last week to each other and I sent her some of the new music. So it's interesting that and she's a great person. But you see, that is really good people. And they are the ones who are successful. Now, you're saying that Kurt Dowdy bought all the 1570s in the area. No, 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 not Kurt. Kurt had 93.7 FM. He had like eight stations. Okay. He had four to eight. But you had another person that was buying all the 1570s in the area. AM guy. Were you simulcasting? too hard because think of all the mileage he had to do to get five 1570 radio stations. He had to go down to South Shore, Western Mass, New Hampshire. It was too much. He worked. His name began with a K. Nice guy. (laughs) But I think, you know, he sold it all off to a Christian station or whatever. Uh-huh. That's what happens to them. Yeah, I think we got bought up by Radio One, which is like a, the, the the black-owned uh, corporation. They got about two, at least 200 stations uh, across the country. They're doing very well. They changed the uh, the name of the station to TPS, the People Station, and they started, uh, you know, playing a different kind of music and, and doing a different kind of programming. It was, it was, uh, it's neat how when, when radio changes over like that, I'm the only time I've ever been let go or, or I guess fired by a radio station is when they change formats. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a rock and roll station and they go, uh, Hey, we're going country. I can put a cowboy hat on. Keep me on. Nope. We're, cha- we're firing everybody and having a whole new staff. All right. Moving on. <laughs> and then they play funky cold Medina for two days over and over to change the format. Right. You better believe it, man. I think ours was uh, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> and that was in 86 or 87 at that particular station switched over. And it was don't worry, be happy for about 24 hours or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and and by the next day, it was all country. Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> it's a strange industry, but now we have our, our stations online. I mean, I'm on Activate Media every week with my uh, interviews. Yes. So activatemedia.org. I just interviewed the guy from Everclear Art. You know that band? I know that band. Man, watch the world yeah, guy. I got Hat and Tom Rush coming up. You know, this would be like my fourth interview with Tom Rush. So I, I go back and listen to the old ones so I'm not redundant and try to keep my artists happy. All right. Well, lay it. Because I know we've been talking for a while. Lay it down for the people. What is it that you do? Give me the, the tent poles of what Joe Villion does and uh, let people know you know, how they can get a hold of you and, and, and learn more, I guess. I found your... Oh, uh, I'm a performer. The first thing, I jumped in performing, and that's what I do, and I'm a record producer. Those are the two things I do. But the promotion, you have to do, no matter who you are. Yes. you got to promote the stuff. You don't want it sitting on a shelf and getting dust. And, um, yeah, if you just go to joevillone.com, V-I-G-L-I-O-N-E.com, or uh, the demo that got the deal radio show, D-E-M-O, D-E-A-L at yahoo.com. That's easy. We've been doing the demo that got the deal since 91. Well, I mean, I have the Joe Villone. 
JoeVillion.com. It says film director, record producer, TV host, writer, renaissance man. Hey, yes, you're all those things for sure. <laughs> and and I'll have that link in the show notes and definitely the link to your uh, your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Discog, SoundCloud, rate your music, IMDb. You got an IMDb. Have you been in a movie? Have you been involved with film film directing? Well, yeah, that's, you know, you could take the, uh, what, the thousand guests I've had on the, the TV and the radio shows. You can make a ton of movies, but the only movie that came out was the Marty Ballin one. I'm working on a number of them right now. I do a lot of documentaries. Remember, um, Bill Hanley did Woodstock. He built the speakers for Woodstock, and he did the Bobby Head Beatles tour. I'm in, I'm in Everett now, but I lived in Medford, and the Medford Dunkin' Donuts was where he built the Woodstock speakers in Medford, right down the street from me, and they had big trucks taking them to Woodstock. So he spoke at the library last December, and no one was videotaping. I'm going, this guy's a legend. He, he, he created the sound because when he was out there, when the Beatles were playing – they were using PA speakers. The Beatles were playing in, in concert halls with PA speakers. And Hanley went up to them and said, because the remains were on the bill and he was friends with the remains, as I am. They were like the pioneering Boston band that toured with the Beatles. And they were on Capitol Records. And um, he went to the concert in Chicago or somewhere. And when the Beatles and Epstein saw that he had this huge speaker system, that's when they started using Bill Hanley speakers. Is that amazing? Yeah, it's nice to know somebody with a good set of speakers, a good PA system. Well, but, but he created this <laughs> yes. for Woodstock and for the, the Beatles tour was 66, Woodstock was 69. Yes. He created these things. Fantastic. And so he's at the library giving a lecture and I went and videotaped it. So I made a documentary. So I got a bunch of these documentaries, Laurie Anderson, right? Speaking for 90 minutes where I'm not in it. I'm just the producer director. Well, that's what you need to but be. Man, it's in my blood. I have to tape these things. It breaks my heart with no one's in there to videotape Bill Hanley. What are you thinking? Well, we need people you know. like you to document these things. Uh, uh, a lot of times the, uh, an artist, a cover band, uh, you know, the way that they get their next gig is is the fact that somebody took a picture or took some video at the last gig and everybody was having a good time. So somebody will see that and say, hey, let's hire them for the next gig. Or you, you've, you've saved them for, for prosperity. So, you know, the agent that got me Everclear and Tom Rush, um, he gets me so many artists. He had the tribute to, to um, Pink Floyd. Yes. And I never interview tribute artists, right? This guy was fascinating. It was amazing. So it was a good interview. We got raves on it, and I, I would never have done it, but I, you know, I, I felt obligated, and it turned out being a great interview. Everybody's got a story. You know, you you have a story and it's not over, man. It's still being being written, you know, but you had. Yeah, but the, I'm hearing your story as we're talking about mine. And I love it because um, you got a story to tell. Yeah. And, well, and all of us, I mean, every human being. Dan, I started at 15 years old with a magazine. Right. And my idea at 15 was to walk up to anyone on the street and interview them. But instead, I get to meet Alfred Hitchcock. I didn't interview him, but I got to meet him. And God's given me all these great. You know, Jodie Foster. Who gets to talk to Jodie Foster? Nobody. So put her in YouTube. Put her in YouTube and put my name and she comes up in my interview with her. Yes, I've seen it. And it's, no, she doesn't yeah. give a lot of interviews, man. That, 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 that was a that was a good get, as we say in the biz. You know, did you see her jump out of the chair with my first question? Yes, she's wonderful, man. She loved it because I 
I asked her if Meredith uh, Madeline White was the opposite of Meredith Black, and she jumped up and said yes. Two of her characters, but she knew I knew her work. It's nice, man. Then I got her director, Robert Zemeckis, Back to the Future. Yes, but before that, oh, Robert Zemeckis with used cars. Even before that, I I I like the 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 uh, the the, um, the swings that he took, man. So I got to interview Zemeckis. Yes. And they wanted me to do one-on-one with Zemeckis in the morning, but my life partner had to go in for surgery, and I couldn't let him down, okay? So I took Jeff to surgery, and I went and did a roundtable in the afternoon, but I'm all prepared. And there's all these critics that know what they're doing, and they were stumbling and fumbling, so I had all my questions ready. I just said, well, Mr. Zemeckis here. And, and, you know, and a month later, the publicity company pulled me aside and they said, Paramount said you were the best interview of the day for Zemeckis. It's, you know, it just made me feel good because I was prepared. But I also said to him, you have three or four Jimmy Miller songs in your movie and Jimmy's gone now. But I will. I want, you know, he had Stone songs and um, he had a Joe Cocker song. I said, I want you to know. I know Miller because I spent so many years with him. He would have loved your placement of his music in the film flight and i think robert felt good about that because who knew better than me Fantastic, you know and, and, and um it's just great to meet these people interview them and um you know some of them become my friends um but there's over a thousand of them yes it, it with the things i i love talking to you who's talked to other people i've done so many of these and i've talked to so many people on the radio on the red carpet it, you're making me think about about all these people that have been in front of me that you know i've gotten and i've been enlightened been taught by gotten information from you know help help to make my life better and you are now one of those people joe villion you're making my life better learning more about you and learning how you tick man you you help well you're helping other people become better as well here's a fun one um joe perry his first wife was doing PR with me, Alyssa Perry, right? But his second wife was my graphic artist. So she set up an interview with me and I wrote the questions and sent them to her. And she called me up and she goes, I'm not kidding you. Joe's blown away by your questions. Now I had Thanksgiving dinner with the Perrys one year, right? So we know each other, but she goes seriously. And then he does the interview with me. I'll send it to you. And he goes, I really love your questions, but we have to do part two because I have to promote my album. I said, I get it. But I go from the point, Dan, where we ask them questions that they never heard before. Yeah. Because they've done thousands of interviews. Well, that's why I like these. You don't want to talk about Dream On. Yeah, that's why I like these that are unscripted. You know, there's only been a few, you know, there was a charity that that was being promoted. They sent me uh, some questions ahead of time. Hey, some talking points. Make sure you talk about these things. That's fine. I'm happy with that. You know, happy to help people. But the, the conversations that I have, where you're just you're just trying to you're you're making a friend you're you're having a coffee and you're making a friend and Joe Villione you've touched greatness and you for me you've been great man you are a great person oh thank you I was gonna send you thirty questions I didn't have the time <laughs> I'm glad we did it this way I am I am too I usually send stuff in case people don't know no I I had. Little idea. If you go to com, there is link after link after link after link above the fold. And that's an old newspaper uh, term for all you youngins out there. You know, the when you fold the newspaper, that top part, that's the most important stuff. So all those links up there, click on them. Click on them. The biographies, the articles, 
the the different interviews that you've done man i i, I want people to know more about you now uh what do you what do you I open did the to first bon jovi show i did the very first bon jovi show in boston what tell me about it well the paradise theater I've played it 49 times. That's a world's record. It's the best concert club. And we did such a good job. They had me as the, uh, what is it called? Um, when you're not an employee, but you're the independent contractor. Okay. So I worked for them for 18 years. And so the Bon Jovi show, are you ready? Bon Jovi had the hit Runaway. He sold 15 tickets Ooh. for an 850-seat hall. So Polydor, the great Don Masters at Polygram, because the record companies had their own offices in cities like New York and Boston, mm -hmm. right? They'd have their own. Well, New York, you had the major office, but they'd be PR people. And, and so Don Masters bought 75 tickets for Polygram. So now you're up to 90. So the Don Law Company, which is now Live Nation, called me up and said, can you rescue this show? It's very important. I knew why it was important because it was Motley Cruz and the Scorpions manager, Doc McGee, was behind Bon Jovi. So I knew why they needed to pack the room. I said, yeah, I got three bands that'll pack the place. I put Dorian Gray from Waltham, Smuggler from the North Shore, and Jet Screamer from Revere. Three different areas, right? We packed the place. That's how you do it. When a band comes and in. And when I saw Bon Jovi's road manager, yeah. I said, you know, these people are mine. And he got real mad at me, right? He didn't want to talk to me because he thought Bon Jovi. But Bon Jovi only had one hit at the time. Yeah, well, but right? when a band comes into a new city that they're not very known in, the best way to, to get the, the butts in the buckets is to get a local band that's loved and put them and in the front. And we had three of them. We had three with big followings, okay? Nice. And they, to this day, they love that they opened for Bon Jovi, but he was unknown. He had one hit. So now I'm going to the Scorpions show with a friend, and I wanted to interview them, right? Because I, I always wrote for paper. I see the road manager and said, oh, hey, it's me, Joe. Can I have a backstage pass? He goes, sure. He gives me the backstage passes. Then he's pissed at himself remembering that he was mad at me at the, at the Bon Jovi show for packing the room. And he didn't believe we packed it. But we did. Yeah. It was legit. We didn't, we didn't paper the room. We had the band's followings come in. And Bon Jovi had a great full house but he only did 15 tickets before showtime yeah he can't stay mad at you for that you you filled that room well, bon jovi wasn't mad at me yeah you filled that room but then then i had dinner with tony bon jovi do you know who that is no i do not tony bon jovi's his uncle that made him famous and ran the power station so now i'm not a huge acdc fan i like them so i'm sitting in the power station and acdc is sitting across from me i don't even know who they are and then they oh yeah that's acdc it's like oh yeah looks it Right. But Bon Jovi had all the major acts coming through. His real name is B-O-N, I think, G-I-O-V-I, Tony Bon Jovi. And then the star Bon Jovi changed J-O-V-I. OK. But uh, I had dinner with Tony and we had rented his uh, one of my bands that I was promoting rented the power station. And they were erasing the tape stand. It drives me crazy. The stuff was amazing. They were practicing to go elsewhere and record. And I'm like, you can't erase these. These are brilliant. And, and to save money, they just practiced on, and they, the practices were brilliant. Uh, crazy, crazy. Uh, it, it's amazing the things that you've done, man. And I'm, I'm going to re-listen to this again and again. Uh, uh, I'm so impressed by you. And what are, what are you up to now? What are you up to these days? That uh, hold on, Good you. Go ahead. You got a big fan club out there. Eh, I, I do. Like a, you know, Radio What? You've been so good to them. They call you up and leave messages, right? Yes. 
Yes, and I, I put them on uh, before their songs, the message that, the, that they send me, and they introduced their own now, songs. Greg Walsh loved it. See, Greg Walsh opened for Psychedelic Furs, okay? But he's on your show, and he and his Facebook fans, and he loved leaving the message for you. And But he's been around for a long time. He's a dear old friend, but he loved that you play him. At, hey, I'll play good music. I play what I want. It's my station. Hey, you know, I've been the music oh, director. I've got more airplay for Greg Walsh, man. Um, even though I got all great acts. This summer, it went through the roof. Everyone loved that Blank Tape song. Blank Tape. It just went through the roof, the airplay. Fantastic. He's really good. Yes. Now, what's on the uh, on the horizon for you over the next next couple of years or whatever next year next next few months? Oh yeah, we're in the middle of contract negotiations. I got tapes. I'll tell you about offline, but I don't want them on the air. Oh, of course not. Um, we got tapes. We're playing with man that'll blow you away. Um, and we're we're putting this corporation together. So um, and supposed I'm supposed to negotiate tonight, but I bet you um my partner is not going to want to talk on the phone. But he set the meeting up for after the interview with you. Okay. We're supposed to go over contracts and um, it's tedious work. You know, we have the lawyer draw it up. Then we got to fill in the blanks. And he's like, I don't want to do this. And I'm going like, I'm going to make it easy. Incrementally, we're just going to take the first two paragraphs. That's it. Real simple. We got to do it because he's off to Switzerland tomorrow. We got to get it done now. You know, this is my life. Yeah, you definitely have to get that done tonight. And I'm going to let you out of here the next couple of minutes. Uh, man, it's uh it's a it's it's a pleasure talking to you. Are you looking to uh, you're, you're putting this band back together? I mean, they're putting this company together. When when are we going to be able to see those documentaries? You have so much footage that needs to get put oh, together as well. Documentaries up on YouTube right now. The Bill Hanley thing should be up on YouTube. Okay, that's the one on the Joe Villion, uh YouTube video. Uh, YouTube. It's, I got uh, I got three or four YouTube sites. So I, if you just put Bill Hanley. It's called Visual Radio. If you put Bill Hanley, Medford Public Library, it should come up. You know, it could be rather boring to people because it's a f – I didn't take the film, but his book author, John Kane, does a long history of it. Um, but it's still – it's important to have taped it. You know, it's it's very important. Well, that's the – It's not as um, exciting as Jodie Foster or Mark Farner because we got to have Bill and uh, Kane come into the studio and that'll be a lot of fun when we talk to them. You know, this was a doc this was a them speaking at a public library it can get tedious to some people and maybe not to others. Mm. Uh, maybe you'll love it. Of course I'm going to love it. Yeah, it's it's information uh, you know it, I've said it before everybody's got a story. Now uh, Community Media Medford. Community Yeah, that's one of my stations. That's the yeah. one. Okay. That's the one that's got all the different Yeah, because Medford, the city, and I live there, and I've, I've argued with these city councilors and um, the mayors, and it's like, don't you people get it? They don't want people on Access TV because they're afraid of getting um, ridiculed, right? And I'm like, you've got to be taping this stuff. You're lazy. And, I, you know, they get very mad at me, and it's like, but I'm right. Yeah, and you're I'll right. I'll take a camera out from Reading, and I'll go to Medford and tape it from Reading because they're too lazy to tape history. Drives me crazy, Dan. Well, people are hungry they're for tally. this stuff. You know, it, 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 nobody wants to see the same thing over and over. People are hungry for new things to see. And history, I mean, I, I, I like history, but how many... How many documentaries on World War II and Hitler can I watch over and over and over again? No. Every time you look at the History Channel, that's all that's on there. Well, guess what, man? Because in Medford, where they were censoring us illegally, they thought that they had the whole kit and caboodle so you'd only see the politicians. 
The audience went away. It's dwindled. So they shot themselves in the foot. We would have had a huge audience for them. And the audience is gone. They might be three, five hundred, maybe a thousand people. They were three thousand tuning in. And they if, hurt themselves. If we're going to have public access, access, we need shows like like Wayne's World. OK, like the movie Wayne's World was about a couple of kids sitting on a couch talking about music, talking about life. And this is this is what your show could be talking about the different artists that are just trying to make their their mark in this world. Maybe they won't make millions and millions, but if it can make a living, that would be great. And we need those people. Snyder, the B-52s, and he stayed at our apartment that night with his manager and the band. We, I got to, st- you know, Fred Schneider staying over at our place. Isn't that cool? That's nice. And, uh, and he's on the TV show. And then um, it was a solo. No, the B-50. No, the solo tour. Um, and he was at the Paradise. But we, you know, Mo Tucker from the Velvet Underground stayed at my house for three days. Fred Nice. I went, put out her first record. Fred Nice went so- solo. Huh? Fred Nice. Fred Snyder went yeah, solo. Yeah, Snyder did a solo album. And they then, all do solo albums. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Oh my yeah. goodness! Well, you got to get you got to get to business, man. And I don't I don't want this to be the last time that we talk. I know that you got so much more, so many more stories that you could tell, and, and I hope that this helps helps you just a little bit and get that much further in your career. Thank you. And you know, we could do a phone interview for my ra- for my radio show, so you could be on my radio show and talk about your years. Hooray! Let's super do it. fantastic. All right, my man. Uh, if you want to give all shout right. outs to people that have uh, helped you along the way, you can talk. Uh, you know, give a couple of couple of shout outs to people. Uh, thanks to Greg Paquette. Hey, there he is. Nice shirt. Um, I don't know if you can see the shirt. I see it. But Greg, um, we're working on a musical play that he wrote 20 years ago. It's amazing. The soundtrack is done. Fraboni's um, mastering it. We're going to put out a limited edition first because um, we're going to get heavy into soundtracks, Dan. So Greg, Greg Paquette and Greg Walsh and... Um, Dean Petrella of the Complaints and, and Michael Gray of the um, American Beauties. They're all my friends. Dahlia Davis. Um, some of these people I go back with with those guys, you know, in the past couple of decades with Dahlia, 40 years. Um, many of these people I've known for 40, 50 years. We were all in the same scene. Nice. Uh, you know, you barely. Thanks, Dan. Most people only have a friend, you know, maybe one friend for 40, 50 years. Maybe. And you've had several so, you know, it's well. That, that's the music scene, though. That See, the music lo- binds us together. Yeah, that says a lot um, about you. You have long-lasting relationships, and you have to be some kind. Uh, you have to have some kind of integrity for people to be, uh, you know, uh, chaining their uh, their uh, trains to your to your engine. You know, putting their caboose on your engine, and uh, you you have something to you. And I, I can tell oh, you, I gotta, you have integrity. I'm going to tell you one more story. Please do. So April 8th, we had a benefit concert for um, the kids at the school, the music department, because Michael Weddle died. Now, Michael Weddle was a promoter who took me out of the mothballs. I hadn't played in years. And for the past decade, I've been playing again because of Michael Weddle. So he died. The club asked me to put a, a show together for him. And we're going to do another one next April. So, Dan, I never get sick. I got extremely ill in March. Uh, bird flu or something, right? And the show was April 8th, and I almost canceled. But I felt better on the 7th, so on the 8th I played. And what happened was we had no practices. So I had my drummer from 1983 and my guitarist from 1985, who'd never played together, and Dahlia Davis and the singer who's been with me, we were flawless with no practice and some of the musicians never having played together. It's like riding a bike, man. Seasoned. 
season music. They're all our friends. We all know each other, but this is the first time like some of us all played together. But you all know the songs, and everyone's got a groove. And we pull, and it's on, it's on video. It's up on the web. It really was fun. But that's the friendships of being in the bands together and mixing and matching. And we had a real scene in Boston. We had a real, and now it's you know we're still hanging out. See, that's that's inside baseball. That's behind the scenes. Little do people know that the, the, the musicians from a certain area, from a certain town, from Boston, they all know each other. So maybe on a Sunday night, they might jam together at a separ- at a different club. You'll get the drummer from this club, the, the bass player from that club, the singer uh, from that band, uh, the singer, the uh, b- uh, guitarist from and that like band. Like I said at the beginning of our interview. Yeah. The hard rock bands weren't melting with the pop bands. Like my band was a pop punk band, but yeah. more pop. And and we, we respect each other and go see each other, right? But we weren't hanging out. Now we're all one family. Now the band, all the genres that were the walls between us, oh, it's not cool to be with them too much. They're too heavy metal, right? Doesn't matter now. Everyone's jamming with each other. Yeah, there were no genres when Hank Williams Sr. was around. You know, genres- yeah, but it was a scene. It was the it was like the New York scene. It was very much like New York and L.A. and Boston okay. and, and London. Those four cities were all very similar with the new wave movement. Okay. So everyone was cool. We were cool. And it's like, oh, oh, they play hard rock, but they're great. And we'd go see them, right? But they weren't part of our world. They'd come over to our club. We'd go to theirs, but we didn't hang out. Now we all hang out. See, I I like that people don't put limits on themselves. You know, if you want to sing a country song, go do it. Hip hop, whatever. Rock and roll, mix it together with punk, whatever. Don't matter egos dropped away you see and now we just love music so we all just play and we're not like i'm gonna be the rock star no i'm the rock star well that's all gone good now it's like we got a show to do let's be pros good all right my man once again i, I don't want this to be, be the last time that we talk i want to i want you to come back as often as you want and uh i want you to give the last words for the people this could be words to live by something you heard a long time ago or just whatever pops into your head at this moment in time. Jovi Leone, give the last words well, for Janis the people. Well, Joplin's anniversary is October 4th next week, and Kathy McDonald, October 3rd. She replaced Janice. So we'll just say the three words. Keep on rocking for Janice and Kathy. Well, there you have it, party people. Jovi Leone. Oh, my goodness. What a cool dude. That guy's been doing it. For over 50 years, 50 years, uh, not only uh, brushing with greatness, but becoming greatness, playing with the greats. It, it makes you great. When you play with people that have gotten to a certain level, it makes you that much better. When you promote other people, the only time you should be looking down on someone is to reach down and pick them up and get them to the next level. Oh, Joe, you've been doing that and you've been making you've been making your own music. You've been writing about these uh, new new kids that are coming up, even some old kids that want to make it back into the biz. You've been doing it, man, and I appreciate you. Uh, we're ah kindred spirits, okay? That's all I want for uh, is to uh, to help out my fellow man or woman. <laughs> and it's what it's what we do. Yeah, you know that's how you know. Yes, I get a little bit of content. Hopefully, somebody gives me a couple of pennies for this thing. But if not, you know, you've gotten some promotion. Uh, from from me, from you, you get promotion and, and you, you get to build up your fellow man. We need to be helping each other out. And that's our way of doing it. Joe, me and you, you and I, we're, we're helping people. 
in our in the in the way that we know how. You have your platform on YouTube, and so do I. I love you have all this content. Oh my goodness! And I I'm not too too keen on the word content, but you do have a lot of it. You have a lot of videos of you talking to people with and you know making sure that oh my goodness this visual video they got you know hours and hours and hours of uh, of things for people to see to learn about i'm uh i'm glad to know you i'm glad to know you thank you so much joe villion for being on the what makes you famous podcast that's it for this edition of what makes you famous i look forward to talking to you again joe i know you had so much more so many more stories in your in that head of yours but you took the time to, to put video uh, you know to take video and audio and record these those things that you've been through oh smart real smart real smart all right that's it for this edition of what makes you famous now if you yes you my loyal listener i'm turning my attention to you if you'd like to tell your story i encourage you to give me a call 501-470-6386 or email keysdan at aol.com that's it for me it's keysdan radio what.com djlittlerock.com peace i'm out of here if you like what you hear follow what makes you famous social media use the hashtag what makes you famous follow on facebook at what makes you famous follow on instagram at what makes you famous follow on twitter at makes famous and follow on youtube at keys dan leave what makes you famous podcast a review and subscribe Listen to What Makes You Famous podcast on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and almost anywhere you find podcasts. Tell your story on my podcast, What Makes You Famous. Call 501-470-6386 and leave a message to set up a time. You can support What Makes You Famous using the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash keys dan what makes you famous podcast is a production of keys dan enterprises incorporated at keysdan.com thank you for listening this is keys dan and this is shelly g and you're listening to radio what.com radio what the music you want with some words to live by the best is yet to come a public service message from radio what.com the music you want.